the cars already are drawing deep breaths past my door and last night's phrases sick with lack of bases are still writhing on my floor and it doesn't seem fair that your wicked words are working holding me down it doesn't seem right Take information given that close range for the gag and the bind and the ammunition The conversation once colored by a steam became dialogue as a diagram of a play for blood Took a vacation my palate got clean now I could taste your agenda while you're spitting your cut. Doesn't make sense I should fall for the kingcraft of a meritless crown It doesn't seem right To take information Given that close range For the gag and the bind And the ammunition wrong not about love I am your automatic lover. 
automatic lover. I am your automatic lover. I am your automatic lover. Automatic lover. I am your automatic lover. Automatic lover.
Well, that's it, folks. Show's over. Now it's time for Living Writers. After this brief, brief announcement. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Radio Blackout. Same time, same place. 2 to 4.30. Right here on 88.3 WCBN FM. They're cats. America's most popular pets, but also the pet most likely to die prematurely from disease, poison, animal abuse, and collision with vehicles because many people let their cats roam freely. To protect your cats from harm, please keep them indoors. A safe cat is a happy cat. Hetzel, and today on Living Writers, I'm pleased to have in the studio Jeremiah Chamberlain. Jeremy, welcome. Thank you, T. I'm so glad to that you could you could come out and be here on this rainy slash brilliant, sunny, and strange day that we're having here in Ann Arbor. Happy to, thank you. <laughs> um, without further ado, I'll start with your short bio. Jeremiah Chamberlain received his MFA in Creative Writing in 2004 from the University of Michigan. Yep, he's one of our own folks, where he now teaches. His writing has appeared in the New York Times Book Review, Poets and Writers, Glimmer Train, Flyway, and the Michigan Quarterly Review, as well as in online exclusives for Granta and the Virginia Quarterly Review. His short fiction is the recipient of a Pushcart Prize special mention, and he has been twice nominated for Best American Voices. He is also a regular contributor to Poets and Writers magazine, which features his interview series inside indie bookstores in each issue. In addition to teaching and writing, he is the editor of Fiction Writers Review, an online literary journal. The site features reviews of new fiction, interviews with fiction writers, and essays on craft and the writing life. They also have a literary blog. So, Jeremy, welcome. Thanks. So now we have about a million things to talk about. <laughs> Where would you like to start? <laughs> I know. Well, let's fill in some of your your your, your writer's life biography. Okay. When, so when you were a, a wee lad, um, when did you start writing? Were you were you one of those kids that was riding his bike plus writing stories about bugs or what? <laughs> <laughs> 
Take us back in time, yeah. Jeremy. Skateboards and bugs. <laughs> um, yeah, I was somebody who came to writing fairly early in life. Um, I was in a poetry after-school workshop in third grade with my third-grade writing instructor, Shelley Samansky, and wrote a poem called Friendship, which stayed on my parents' refrigerator, I think, until I was in graduate school. Um, <laughs> it was. Did it have sort of those yellowed edges? Yes, or it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, something about friendship being a bubbling brook, and I'm not quite sure what. But, um, yeah, so I, I really loved writing from a fairly young age. Um, and then because my um, parents worked at the Interlochen Arts Academy in northern Michigan, uh, I got to be a faculty brat at that school and got to study writing with some wonderful instructors up there, Mike Delp and Jack Driscoll and Nick Bozanik and Terry Kazat and all sorts of great wow, people. Wow, so when was that, Jeremy? What, that was what? in high school, yeah. And were most of the other people who were there at the Interlochen Arts Academy? Uh, camp, Academy? Uh-huh. It was, were they adults or what? Um, no, um, the camp is, um, Interlochen is most known as a music camp. It's been around for about 100 years. But um, about 30 years ago, maybe 40 now, uh, they decided to start a boarding school, a private school for about 400 students. It's an international school. Um, and so all disciplines of art are studied there, visual art and um, dance and theater and music and writing, of course. And there are about 20 of us in the writing program is very eager, very uh, energetic, very, you know, uh, what's the word I'm searching for here? Uh, we took ourselves very seriously. <laughs> we were, wanted to be writers. Were you wearing berets at the time? Uh, yes, almost. <laughs> oh, that's um, great. But um, the thing that really had the impact in me actually was um, when I was in, in high school and I was about 15, Charles Baxter came. Um, to interlock and to give a reading. And uh, while I was in the audience listening to him read one of his stories, probably from his book in the, Through the Safety Net, I'm guessing, I'd have to look back, um, I literally had one of those transportive experiences that happen at a wonderful reading where you sort of lose sense of time and lose sense of yourself, and you're just completely enthralled in, in the story. And uh, when he had finished um, that story... I sort of came back to myself, and, and I remember very distinctly saying to myself, wherever that guy teaches is where I'm going to go to school, because I really wanted to work with him. And lucky for my parents, it was at Michigan, which meant I got in-state tuition. So. And that was for grad school, right, That was Jim? actually for undergrad. For job. undergrad. Oh, yeah. okay. And then mm-hmm. you went to Madison, Wisconsin for a stint? Yeah, after, um, after I had finished my undergraduate and worked very closely with Charlie, who was a wonderful mentor. Um, it is amazing as an undergraduate to have access to, to Charlie Baxter, such a great writer. Yeah, the, the program is phenomenal. I worked very closely with Charlie and with Eileen Pollock and yes. Bill Banco and yeah. um, all those wonderful people. The usual suspects. The usual suspects. All friends exactly. of the show. <laughs> exactly. And now I get to be with them on the, on the faculty, which is a pleasure. But um, yeah, afterwards, I, I knew that I wasn't ready and wouldn't be ready for an MFA program for a long time. Um, the best advice I got from Eileen Pollock was, don't go to an MFA program until you've hit the glass ceiling of your own talents and abilities, to go out into the world and work as hard and as long as it takes you to get as good as you can on your own. And, and how did you sense that? Like, what was your, how did you know you were reaching 
up towards the glass ceiling. Right. Well, I got very lucky in that um, my best friend at the time and years later, um, my to-be brother-in-law, Dean Bacopoulos, also a fiction writer, who I met here as an undergraduate, had moved to Madison after he got married and started working at this very small bookstore named Canterbury. Um, Small, independent, specializing in literature, poetry, new fiction, and a small coffee shop attached to it. And uh, a few months after we'd graduated, I guess it was the fall of that year, he said, you know, we have an opening um, in the store. You ought to move out here. Now, I had assumed after college that the way to be a writer was to move to the wilderness, to isolate oneself like a hermit. And so I was living on a very tiny, small lake in a very small, tiny cottage with uh, my now wife, uh, Natalie Bacopoulos, also very talented fiction writer. And also and, the one who um, picked the songs for the show. Exactly, or, or... <laughs> who, was, uh, who was kind enough to help me with all the music for today, so you can attribute that to her. Hello, Natalie. Hello, Natalie. So we were up in this very small cottage, um, which is a lot like The Shining, but with less space, I like to joke. <laughs> um, and isolation is actually not the best. They, despite writers pretending to be hermits, many of them are actually quite social people. And so we quite literally jumped at the chance to move to Madison for me to take on this job with Dean. And so for five years, we ran this very small independent bookstore in Madison, and it was probably the best education as a writer I could have received in that I was constantly surrounded by books. I was constantly talking to customers about their favorite books, which meant I was being exposed to all sorts of lines of reading and genres that I never would have found on my own because everyone's tastes are so different and having to stay up on everything across the board and reading all the new releases and what are you going to to buy for the Mm -hmm. shop yep and being and when guests came we had a very strong reading series you know so i had the pleasure of introducing everyone from david sedaris and studs turkle to sherman alexi and and susan minot and laurie moore and all these wonderful people And, and and to your question how did i sort of decide or realize i'd hit the glass ceiling after all those years of working at the bookstore and, and becoming very familiar with sort of contemporary fiction and meeting all these wonderful writers and hearing about all these wonderful conferences, I realized that I was selling a lot of other people's work but not doing a hell of a lot of it myself. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you have time? Were you were you writing some evenings or yeah, some, did you have some sort of a routine? Yeah. We, we scheduled... Um, we worked very hard on the schedule so that um, we'd each, both Dean and I, would have certain days of the week off that were sort of our writing days. And to oh, so is Dean duties. a writer, too? Then? Yeah, Dean, okay. uh, his first novel, uh, Please Don't Come Back from the Moon, came out with Harcourt a couple years ago. It's a fantastic novel. And um, uh, the new one, uh, My American Unhappiness, is coming out next year. That's a nice title. Yeah, yeah. We just saw the cover. Looks great. <laughs> So a shout out to Dean as so well. So a shout out to Dean in um, Ames, Iowa, where he now works at the uh, at Iowa State University teaching there in their MFA program. Yeah. So we both sort of simultaneously realized that we'd had a good run at the bookstore and uh, it was time for us to go try to be writers ourselves now that we'd apprenticed ourselves to the craft for so long. And um, so um, I decided that I wanted to come back to Michigan. There were some people who had, who had come here who I wanted to now work with and uh, I sort of missed being in Ann Arbor, and so we we moved east back here. Yeah. And, and who were some of those people, Jeremy? Um, well, I, uh, I really wanted to work with um, Peter Ho Davies. Um, I wanted to again work with Eileen Pollock, who was such a great mentor to me. Um, Charlie Baxter was was here also. Um, Nick Delbanco. Um, so there are a whole craft of people I wanted to come back and be a part of this program. Yeah, and you're still a part of this program. Um, 
in 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 large ways uh, teaching and then also um, with fiction writers review um, when you were talking about the bookshop I wondered if that was the connection also with this um, online review as a place for writers fiction writers especially to meet and have ideas and share ideas about fiction writing mm-hmm. um, sort of a um, an online community that you're attempting to build. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the credit goes to um, our founder, Ann Stemeshkin, who was an MFA graduate from Michigan in um, 06, I believe. Um, she was <laughs> this a, is a show, like a shout out after shout out show. Yeah, it Michigan. seems like, hello, Ann. <laughs> exactly. Um, so in one of those classes with Eileen Pollack, one of their assignments um, was to write uh, a review of new of new fiction and to um look and see what sort of reviews were out there about fiction and what we discovered was um or what Anne in particular discovered because this was truly her brainchild um was that there really wasn't a lot happening out there besides a few very isolated places like the New York Times book review and only a few pieces each Sunday and the stray weekly review and and many of these reviews had moved from craft-based thoughtful analysis and reviews of what the writer was attempting to do in this project versus a summary of the plot, you know, or an evaluative thumbs up, thumbs down. And huh. so, um, what she, seems kind of damaging too. very limited. And exactly. And we were all young writers, yeah, who, gatekeepers. How right, would you even exactly. get a How place get in? in there? Yeah. It's like, but the old joke about waiting tables, right? You only hire if you have experience, but <laughs> how, how does one get experience? Um, and that was the, absolutely the case too. And that we also wanted to, um, and she very much wanted to provide a forum where, um, writers could write their first book reviews with some very close editorial help. People could publish their first interviews. Um, people could, and, and a site that really promoted emerging writers, whether that meant um, new writers just coming out of programs or they met writers who had been toiling away and had several books but had never quite broken in. And so that's what, where your mission is sort of the the, the, the main part of the mission yeah, for I think these writers. Definitely this- sort of two parts, sort of creating this conversation, absolutely. Um and, and specifically giving um emerging writers and new writers and young writers uh, a place to come not only for the conversation but all to pu- also to publish. Yeah. Their, their first criticism, you know, um and not criticism in terms of good, bad, um, but criticism in terms of this particular point of view choice affects the entire novel in these interesting ways. Yeah, so always looking through the lens of a particular part of the craft. Right, and whether someone actually ever buys the book, in a sense, in our opinion, is almost irrelevant in that you should leave a good review having thought about writing in a new way. Whether you buy the book or not, that's great. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers (laughs) crossed, absolutely. But we weren't hoping to, you know, create a venue for selling books. We are but talking about them because Amazon or or Borders or even Pals, like where they have the different feedback and different reviews, that mm-hmm. would be more of a forum for that on their online sites. Yeah, exactly. yes, yeah. And do people ever respond to these reviews, Jeremy? Post uh, like comments. start the comments and discussions. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, we have often long comment threads and conversations about people who either are enthusiastically in agreement or. <laughs> Didn't quite read the book that way. Oh well, great. But that's okay. healthy. That's yeah. what we want. Yeah, that's what you. That's that's exactly what you want. Some some community. 
Right. Okay. Let's take a short break today on Living Writers. We have Jeremiah Chamberlain. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Standing on the corner with a nickel or a dime, there used to be a rail car to take you down the line. But too much beer and whiskey to ever. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Jeremiah Chamberlain is here. Jeremy, it's good to have you here. Thanks. I'm enjoying uh, it. And so you went to the, the MFA program. I did. And as you've filled us in on. Um, so, so you're, and you're a very busy man because you're also teaching mm-hmm. here. And you're now, as of August, this month, 2010, you were the editor-in-chief of Fiction Writers Review, FWR. Well, editor, yeah. Anne is, Anne is, is our editor-in-chief and our founding <gasps> editor. Oh, okay. And okay. I moved up into the editor position, yeah. No, it's very exciting. We've had a lot of wonderful growth. You know, as I was saying a minute ago, you know, when Anne originally envisioned this back in um, the very early winter of 2008 um, and first started talking to some of us about this as a possibility, about being writers on the site. Um, we were originally envisioning it, or I should say she was originally envisioning it as definitely being a conversation, but a fairly small conversation among people who knew one another, um, a way to talk about fiction, share ideas. Um, but the goal was not originally to create this very um, far-reaching entity. So what transformed it? Well, it, the audience did. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, we um, have just found a, a wonderfully large um, um, audience of, of people who are reading us. Um, I think when we last looked, we had something like um, 80,000 um, visitors to the site in 12 months' time. Um, and we're going to things like AWP, the Writers' Conference. And, and what we found was that um, as we are publishing the first reviews, or not always first, but often first reviews of people who are in MFA programs, they, of course, then share the site and their work with 
their friends, um, who then, of course, pass it on to sort of their friends. So despite the fact that we've never had <laughs> a dime of funding in these two years, and it's entirely a labor of love um, for all of us involved, um, it's grown from this several dozen um, writers sharing these ideas, um, launched in uh, September of 2008. Um, so with, we'll, the cohorts, with, right? the cohort, with the cohorts. Yeah, with a very strong um, background of, of people who had moved through the University of Michigan program simply because that's who we knew. <laughs> um, as, um, but then others were invited to the party. Absolutely. And, and the way we want to continue growing and the way we've grown the best has been um, meeting a friend who then says, oh, I published an essay on this great site, um, and then having that individual recommend someone to us. So everything has been word of mouth, whether um, the growth of the site itself um, to its audience of readers who have stumbled upon us or in the public publishing industry, and then also our contributors are definitely, most people come through another contributor who recommends them. I mean, that's not always the case. Um, we do, we are always looking for new um, contributors. There is a very prominent button on the homepage of the site that says, write for us. And if you click on that, it takes you right to our submissions page, um, and you can query us about projects or you know, send writing samples of, of your work. So, and, and this would be fictionwritersreview.com. That's correct. Yep, that's the website. Very easy to remember our name and <laughs> .com. No dots, no spaces. Just fictionwritersreview. Yeah, yep. And is part of the, the new mission also to integrate it with the MFA program here at Michigan, Jeremy? Um, that's been a natural growth um, simply that, you know, I'm here um, and... Uh, Stemeshkin, our editor-in-chief and founding editor, is now in um, Columbus, Ohio. Um, she just moved there, so she's working to make contacts and out, you know, reach out to their program. Um, our blog editor and assistant editor, Celeste Ng, is in Boston, so she has lots of connections through Grub Street. Because um, she teaches fiction there. She teaches yeah. there, exactly. Um, Lee Thomas, who's um, our managing editor, was originally in San Francisco and wrote for the San Francisco Chronicle and for the New York Times Book Review, and she's now just moved to New York. So um, editorially, you know, uh, the four of us are bringing people in literally from all four corners of the of the country, and then although there might be an opening out west now, so if yes. one of our western listeners. Right. Well, we did just bring in. Um, as we grow, we've brought in um, a great writer, uh, Mike Rudin, who's going to be our director of uh, marketing and development. That's, that's right. That's a new yep. development. Yep. And he was a writer of ours. Um, and going back for one more Michigan connection, Mike was actually. A, one of the very first students of mine I ever taught here at the University of Michigan um, six, seven years ago. And uh, he went on to be a fiction writer himself, but also went into the business world and um, worked in California in Activision as one of their brand managers. So and has some savvy. Yeah, some great savvy, some wonderful online connections, and is a very talented both fiction writer and essayist. We've published a number of his wonderful uh, essays on the site. That's part of the reason we wanted to bring him aboard is because he's been invested in... Uh, committed to Fiction Writers Review from the beginning. He's been a writer of ours from the beginning, and now he's graciously accepted to sort of help us out with, you know, the side of the, the growth that we didn't sort of anticipate or expect, you know. Right. And so so there's lots of growth happening. Yeah. And, and you've been, as you mentioned, you were part of AWP last year. Mm -hmm. And you're, you've also, you've got a panel that's been accepted for the 2011 Yeah, we're very panel. excited about that. Do, what's the title of that panel? Well, the one we did last year um, was... Um, evolution of the new media and we did a whole panel um with several other uh w 
journals that are involved with new media, so Walk Maw, Story South, and the Emerging Writers Network. And we talked about the growth of on- journals online and that shift and how it's affecting both writing and, and media. And then this year, um, I'm very proud um, to be moderating a panel called The Good Review, Criticism in the Age of Book Blogs and Amazon.com. And so I'll have with me um, some really wonderful wonderful participants. Uh, Charles Baxter, my old mentor, will be there. Uh, Stacy Durasmo, who teaches at Columbia and also writes for The Times and Book Forum. Uh, Gemma Seif, who's an editor at Harper's. And our own Keith Taylor here, who's written hundreds yeah. of wonderful <laughs> reviews, and especially reviews of poetry and translation, which doesn't get talked about much. And a lot of those are placed, I, I think, regularly in Ann Arbor, the Ann Arbor Observer, mm-hmm. for one place, for so everyone locally knows Certainly. Keith, looks to Keith for what's right. the word in uh, new books, especially mm-hmm. poetry. Mm-hmm. And But he even writes, he writes for the LA Times as well, and he writes for a number of places all around the country, yeah. Yes. But he's definitely our, our homegrown hero for all the local <laughs> listeners. In so many ways. And then we also have the business symposium that's mm-hmm. on deck for later September. Um, is it the kickoff the 23rd, Jeremy? Um, I think it's actually Friday the 24th. Okay. Um, this is a um, wonderful day-long symposium that the Department of English is sponsoring. And uh, it's open to the public. It's going to be at Palmer Commons all day on Friday the 24th. It starts at, um, I think, right at 9 a.m. Um, <laughs> Get your coffee. Yeah, and Davy Rothbart, who's the creator of Found Magazine, is going to sort of kick that off. Um, we've got panels on everything from blogs and advertising to um, writing in other fields like science and nature. And so the idea is to give both our MFA students and um, the public and the writing community of Ann Arbor a taste of all the different career paths one can follow with a degree in English if you're an undergraduate student or if you're an MFA student. So, so that's very helpful, very actually. Helpful. Yeah, there are going to be we're gonna editors from prominent houses like Norton um, and um, Harper's, uh, magazines like Harper's coming in. Agents will be here. Um, so, so all the students that are graduating with English degrees, they don't have to go out into the woods and find <laughs> the cabin in the isolation, perhaps. Right, exactly. So all of these people will be talking about all the different avenues that exist out there, you know, beyond just um, getting your BA or your MFA. Yeah, and yeah. and so with FWR too, Jeremy. So some of the the current MFA students are are also already starting to contribute as well. They, you don't have to graduate from the program to to be no, uh, absolutely part not part of it. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, we have a lot of our. Uh, current MFAs I work closely with to encourage them to sit down with our um, visiting writers. We have uh, wonderful, wonderful, as many people in Ann Arbor know, uh, an amazing reading series, the Zell Visiting Writers Series. And uh, if you visit the University of Michigan um, MFA website, you can see all of the 2010 and 2011 schedule. And uh, we have just a phenomenal and many lineup. Of them, many of them will be on the program, too. So oh, you'll be hearing... Absolutely. hearing them. Yeah. But then you can go and see them in person. Yeah, too. you can see them at the readings. And what we do is we have such a wonderful opportunity in this writing community for our MFA students to sit down with one of those visiting writers, um, which is a rare opportunity to talk with Mary Gateskill or talk with, you know, Daniel Alarcone or Zizi Packer or, you know, whomever happens to be visiting. So I try to facilitate as much as I can. I work with Megan Levod um, as the assistant. Uh, <laughs> 
director of the program, and she's yeah, she's, she's great, great. wonderful yeah. help to us, and has been supportive of Fictionary's Review from the beginning. Because, you know, again, it's a it's we want it to be a collaborative project that grows in the directions that our contributors want it to grow. So, if a writer comes to me and says, "I really want to interview this person and know their work well," I've, you know, I've you know I've been following them mm-hmm. as a young young writer. I might not know who they are. But that's not the goal of the the site. The goal is to have it reflect the tastes of all of our contributors, which now range, I think, nearly 60 in almost every state and even overseas. It's quite a packet of people if you, <laughs> if you, if you print it out like one crazy interviewer did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I see that. Impressive. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, the pieces. Fun. Yeah. And we definitely are starting to find um, particular programs um, where, again, because it is so much word of mouth, uh, someone will write for us, and then they'll recommend one of their colleagues. So, you know, we have several writers um, at Old Dominion in Virginia. Um, one person wrote me, um, Mary Westbrook, out of the blue after she read an essay I had published in Glimmer Train, actually, not even about Fiction Writers Review. Eventually, we struck up a conversation. Was that the one where its um, workshop is not for it's you? not for you, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great title. Thank you. <laughs> and, a, and a good piece. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. That grew out of my teaching. I mean, I, I, and um, I think the hard thing about workshop for anyone who's gone through it is that if you do it right, you want to invest time, you want to invest energy, and you want to give um, a lot to your fellow workshop members. So it's discouraging to say the least when. You know, when your turn comes up to get marginal comments at best uh, or, you know, no comments <laughs> whatsoever. And so my students will come to my office and say, you know, I'm very frustrated that I've been putting in my time and investing in this workshop. And then I feel like I got jilted when it was my turn and they're very upset about it. And so I said, well, you know, where the real learning comes from is actually the process of having to think through somebody else's story or somebody else's essay. And that might be where you learn more, actually, than the... Um, comments that you get on your own work. So did you come to that as a teacher when you were teaching writing, Jeremy? Or was that something that you thought through when you were in the, the MFA program workshops? Um, definitely in the teaching. Okay. In the teaching, yeah. It's as, funny how that's sort of transformative, yes, isn't it? Yeah, like to see writing in a completely different way. Very different way. way, absolutely. So no, it came out of uh, a number of disgruntled office hour visits with students who, who I had to assure that despite the fact that they hadn't received the type of feedback they were looking for, that they were still indeed learning. (laughs) Right, right. You know, I wondered about when you, with the reviews, you said you're also encouraging experimental reviews, like there's traditional reviews as well as, and I wondered what sort of shape do you um, imagine, or is there already an example? Um, Well, interestingly enough, um, we were talking about Mike Rudin earlier. Um, He's publishing, or we're publishing his review of the new um, Best of the Web anthology, which Dzank books, books puts out each year. Dzank, another locally homegrown. Yeah, one of the... Steve McGillis. Yeah, Steve Gillis. Oh, Steve Gillis. Yep, I'm trying and, to make you Dan Scottish, no. Steve. Sorry about that. <laughs> Steve Gillis and Dan Wickett founded um, Dzank um, in 2006. And prior to that, um, Steve was a fiction writer with a number of books out, uh, very well received. And Dan was the founder of the Emerging Writers Network. So they came together and created Dzank, which is both a charitable organization. They do a lot of writers in the school programs. They fund scholarships to places like Bear River Writers Conference. And they're um, publishing books. And they have the other aspect of their program is that they're a wonderful, one of the, wonderful, um, perhaps one of the premier independent publishers 
Um, they have more than 50 titles out right now. They have several imprints. And one of their books, uh, Laura Vandenberg's collection, um, What the World Will Look Like When All the Water Leaves Us, which is a beautiful title and a yes. wonderful book, um, was just nominated for the Frank O'Connor Short Story Award, which is probably the biggest award you can get as a fiction writer. That's um, wonderful. Yeah, and it's an international award. And interestingly enough, this uh, year, six of the seven finalists are American writers, which is... Um, That's USA, USA. <laughs> right. <laughs> and also Didn't Peter- mean to pitch nationalism, but, <laughs> but Desang is, is, a, is you know, um, one of the great indie presses out there and also doing wonderful um, nonprofit work. And they publish Best of the Web every year. And Mike Rudin is publishing a wonderful sort of three-dimensional book review of that because all the writing in their anthology is online and visual. He has incorporated all these great images. Oh, that's and, great. He's responding in kind. Exactly. Oh, right. that's great. So we're excited to publish that. Um, uh, probably in early September, late August. Oh, that's well, that's wonderful. And yeah. then also, like a, a quick mention, Peter Marcus, also friend of the show. Absolutely. His books Bob out with Dizank. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so we're going to take a short break. We'll be back to talk more with Jeremy Chamberlain. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got living writers, Brian Delaney, Manning, the engineering booth. We'll be back. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and you've all you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Thank goodness you are. Glad to have you out there, um, and glad to have you in here. Thanks, Jeremy. I'm enjoying the talk very much. Um, today, Jeremiah Chamberlain is here in studio, um, editor of Fiction Writers Review, uh, fiction writer in his own right. Um, you also are um, you you have a series indie books. Sh- Bookstores mm-hmm. series in poets uh, and writers magazine, right? Yeah, and and so and we'll we'll get to that. But first, let's talk about some Bulgarian emerging writers, okay. <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> um, well, I had the uh, great opportunity to be selected as one of the fellows to participate in the Sizopol Fiction Seminar in Bulgaria, 
And we were talking earlier um, about everything Fiction Writers Review is trying to do. Um, one of our big missions is trying to connect writers, right? Um, trying to sort of give a forum for emerging writers, whatever that might be. And I translators? Think we're all emerging writers. <laughs> we're emerging. <laughs> yeah, emerging, swimming, trying to keep afloat, treading Living. water. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Living. Um, and, and another organization besides uh, Zank, um, which which I admire and which is has a similar mission as well um, is the Elizabeth Kostova Foundation, which was founded one of by one of our former MFAs, Elizabeth Kostova, who wrote um, the sensational New York Times bestselling um, historian, and then most recently the Swan Thieves. And she was on the program for the Swan Thieves. Yeah, terrific, yeah. It's a fantastic book. And read it Nicola's books. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Wonderful crowd for that reading. Huge crowd. Yeah, I think it. they had to be. I don't know. I think the doors couldn't shut. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, in 2006, when Elizabeth was touring abroad for um, The Historian, she was meeting a lot of writers in Bulgaria who were incredibly talented and very driven and very passionate about their work. But um, there are no resources. I mean, we're very blessed. We've been talking about the MFA program here. We've been talking about places like the Interlochen Arts Academy for high school students. We've been talking about grants and awards and things like that. Well, that doesn't exist in Bulgaria. They're the... Um, poorest uh, country in the EU in terms of GDP. Um, MFA programs don't exist. Um, scholarships and fellowships and opportunities don't exist. So those people who write are doing so, you know, uh, on the side while holding other jobs and, you know, as it is for the majority of writers in this country, um, not something that you make a living at. It's a passion and, and it's an art. Um, and so what Elizabeth found is that there really was no support for these these people. So she pledged um, a large portion of her foreign royalties um, to start this foundation. And then she subsequently worked um, doing fundraising with everyone from the U.S. Embassy to the Bulgarian Ministry of Culture and a number of organizations um, as well. Um, the Soros Foundation, I think, donated in their their first year, and has created this foundation that does a number of things. Um, the primary mission is to create connections between writers in Bulga- Bulgaria and the U.S. or English-speaking speaking countries, I should say. They sponsor a translation prize, and then every summer um, they have a week-long uh, writing seminar in Sizopol, which is on the Black Sea, um, and it's just one of the most gorgeous places I've ever been in my life. Um, Is amazing. it the Bulgarian Riviera? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it looks a lot like it would be reminiscent of the of the Mediterranean in that there are red tile roofs in the buildings and sort of whitewashed um, buildings and cobblestone streets and a very quaint, gorgeous. And it was always a writer's retreat visual writers retreat and she was there visiting uh, with her family because her husband actually is is Bulgarian so she also has a personal connection. Is and it visual artists Jeremy visual too? Artists, the I'm painters sorry. Yeah. and okay. Because it's such a gorgeous okay. place with beautiful light and amazing landscapes it's always been a home for visual artists and she was um, with her friend um, Svetlio um, who is a publisher of, of Bulgarian literary works and she said to him Svetlio why why do these visual artists get to have this wonderful, wonderful place here? You know, we should start a writer's, you know, seminar here. And and Svetlio, as she recounts being Svetlio, says, sure, why not? Not thinking about, you know, what that would entail. He's just enthusiastic and positive and this wonderful, wonderful um, guy and great champion of literature. And so, by goodness, they did. And um, now this year it will be the fourth annual um, seminar. Um, so I had the great pleasure of going um, in 2009, last summer, 
for that week. And the way the seminar works is that they select five native English-speaking writers and five Bulgarian writers, and they bring them together for that week, along with publishers, translators, editors, agents, um, both from the U.S., Europe, and, and elsewhere. Wow, how amazing. It is amazing. And so you spend an entire week just absorbed, deeply absorbed in writing and the culture of writing. And Did you also then begin to work on some translating projects with with one of the Bulgarian members of the cohort? or um, I, I didn't directly so much, though all of our work was translated, which was a very interesting and moving experience. We were paired um, with a, a Bulgarian writer throughout the seminar who, who we sort of spent time with and worked with. And, and one of the final um, presentations was that... Um, a Bulgarian writer, your partner would read your work in Bulgarian and you would read his or her work in, in English. Um, and we would each read the same work. So I would read my story in English and then he would read um, my story in, in Bulgarian and vice versa. And it was really a, a fantastic and moving experience to, A, hear your own work in another language and and to sort of you know, try to follow along and where someone is laughing, thinking, oh, are they laughing at that part? <laughs> because, of course, I don't speak Bulgarian and, you know, none of the English participants did. Um, you don't have to have an interest, per se, in in um, Bulgarian. But I'm writing. sure you, ha- you leave with one. You absolutely do. And I think that's the greatest benefit of the seminar is that you leave with an entirely different um, vision of what writing is like in another culture in another country. And um, I've t- kept in touch with many of the people since. Um, some of them um, have written or are going to be writing for Fiction Writers Review. Um, in fact, this fall we'll be publishing a photo essay by a number of the fellows this year who all wrote in to me and sent pictures. And so we're going to have that on Fiction Writers Review website. But, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful program. Um, and they're, of course, trying to expand that, that reach. And um, I believe the application process is usually in the late winter and late February, early March. But if you go to the website EKF dot bg elizabeth costa foundation dot bg is what the initials stand for ekf dot bg there is um uh, a lot of information about all the different things they're doing with that program well that's great thank you thank you for mentioning that because what a wonderful opportunity i'm so glad that that you were there jeremy yeah it was really awe-inspiring now is that when you wrote your story um that that won the no no oh the glimmer train story no that was uh a, a different uh, a different time. <laughs> topic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, okay. But, well, let's. I I wanted to ask you before mm-hmm. we because I later on we're going to hear a piece sure. of of one of your your stories. Um, I hope, and <laughs> but but in the meantime, you also are writing and doing interviews mm-hmm. for the series um, right. for Poets and Writers Magazine. Yeah, and that's been really really exciting work for me because as I was saying earlier. I really felt like bookstores raised me as a writer. You know, like if I have a debt to pay, in many ways it is to those independent booksellers who taught me to be a writer and taught me what it meant to be um, an author who visited stores and to understand the relationship between readers and writers and how intimate that bond is and how important bookstores are. Um, and how, if we don't uh, recognize that and, and tend it, they disappear. Like mm-hmm. we've just had our loss of Shaman Drum right. 
um, here in Ann Arbor. So. Yeah, and they were part of the reason that, you know, Carl Port and his wonderful dedication to book selling in this community was part of the reason I started the series. But the other reason was also that um, students would come to me. My, I, I've been teaching now long enough that my students are actually graduated and going out into the world, and some of them, many of them are great, talented writers and want to pursue writing as a career. And near around graduation time, they will always come and say, okay, now what? <laughs> um, where do I go next? Because I've always been very adamant about repeating what Eileen told me, which was, you know, until you've hit the glass ceiling of your own abilities, don't go into an MFA program too soon before you're ready. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity, but you've got to time it right. And um, it's really easy to just want to go straight from school into a new <laughs> academic program because the big world is scary out there. Um, but, you know, I would say, you know, go out there and, and live a little bit. You know, Mark Strand's great quote, you know, how vain it is to sit down to write when you haven't stood up to live. And, and so I would always say, go out there. And, and I would always say, go work at a bookstore. You know, it worked for me. Um, obviously, I'm a little biased. But I would say, you know, go shelve books, put your hands on them, learn, you know, who the authors are who are writing good work these days. Now it's go but and now I see some Kindles. Well, that's the no, problem, is that, is that... You shouldn't be in, so bitter, No, no, no. <laughs> Increasingly, um, I, I could. it was harder for me to make that recommendation because they would say, oh, I'd love to, but there's nowhere to do it. Um, and it's especially when Shaman Drum closed, because I couldn't say, well, look, right across the street there, there's a great place, you know, put your application in there. Um, There's still borders. Mm-hmm. Yes, abs- Nicholas. Abs- and, and Nicholas, and lots absolutely. of great used bookshops. Tons, too. tons. Don Trayer, right. David's. Right. But we've um, just had such a Agatha's. loss. You know, I mean, in the 15 years since I started working, uh, 70% of all independent bookstores have gone out of business, which is a shocking, shocking number. And there has been a slight turnaround the last year. We saw some positive numbers um, in January and February of, of bookstores, you know, reopening and opening in unexpected places. So that's well, really hopeful. Well, if they hopeful. can be compu- community spaces, if exactly. somehow that can be foregrounded and people know that's part of the mission of right. the shop, not just to get the best bargain on the book, but right. for other reasons. Yeah. I had students that I took to West Side Bookshop and they didn't understand that it was a used bookshop. They thought that you could just look at them, but not because uh. <laughs> they hadn't been to one somehow right. yeah so we're, we're we're very lucky to live in a book town that has nicholas and has borders and has west side bookshop and the dawn treader and david's and all these wonderful wonderful places um and i don't by any means mean to just sort of point to shaman drum um but it's it's not it's a it's the, uh, true that all across the country we've we've been losing these because a lot of those students will go home to where their parents live or where they grew up rather than staying in ann arbor for a few years to find themselves or move to another city with some friends um, so I wrote to the editor of Poets and Writers, and I said, hey, uh, I used to work in a bookstore, and it was really important in me becoming a writer. Would you be interested in me writing an essay about that experience and um, about how independent booksellers are not just important uh, to the community and as a browsing space and a way for readers and writers to meet one another, but that the people who are always forgotten in that equation when we say we've had a loss in the community are the people behind the cash registers that so many of them are young writers aspiring writers themselves who are now out in the street so to speak yeah and outstanding readers people who've devoted their lives to reading absolutely yes and so he said yeah that sounds interesting why don't you write this essay and um and so i wrote the essay and after it had been accepted for publication um i was thinking about it and i said you know it'd be great um, let's let's think about this essay as a launch pad for a whole series because 
as I was working in the bookstore, writers would come through and I would always say to them, oh, well, where are you off to next on your tour? And they would say, oh, I'm so excited because I'm going to Square Books in Oxford, Mississippi. It's one of the best bookstores in the country. And so as a bookseller, I had all these visions of these amazing bookstores around the country that I'd never been to. And, uh, Powell's so it was a Books bit, in Powell's Portland, Oregon. Oregon. Right. So it was a bit <laughs> of a self-serving project, I must admit, in that my pitch to the editor was, let me travel around the country and visit the best bookstores in America and talk to those owners and community um, people about why their bookstore is one of the ones that has made it through a very difficult last decade and, and what they're trying to do about the future because we make jokes about the Kindle, but, you know, it's not going away. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to. I think that those things can very well coexist. But um, that's how that at least got started. Well, that sounds okay. Let's take a short break, and then we'll hear more when we come back. From Jeremiah Ch- Chamberlain, I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to Living Writers. We'll be right back. Had a heart 